Now, I don't know about you, but I started off the year with two goals. One, to drink more water. Some people sometimes ask me, is this coffee? No, this is actually water. I have water. I have a goal of drinking more water this year. Second goal, to carve out time to write. And as you would know, in order for us to achieve our goals, it's very, very important that we understand the importance of those goals. When we truly understand the importance, when I understand the importance of drinking more water and keeping my body hydrated so that I have more energy throughout the day, when I truly understand the importance of taking that which God is putting in my heart and putting down on a paper, actually on a computer screen, right, and sharing my thoughts and my ideas with people in this season of my life and the impact that that can bear, that gives me the right impetus, the right motivation uh, to develop certain habits that will lead me to achieve my goals. I need to understand the importance of these goals. Uh, We have been going through this pandemic now for about 10 months, and I've come across a lot of people that are struggling spiritually. And I understand why. It's because our rhythms have been out of whack. Our life has been reconfigured. And we are not taking full advantage of the means of grace that are available to us. We have forgotten uh, the purpose of the church and where you and I fit in it. Maybe you're struggling right now. You've gotten sick of Zoom. You've gotten sick of online church. Uh, There are a lot of people that have been benefiting a lot from uh, online church, but I understand sometimes it's hard. You know, when you have kids running around the living room, uh, it's, it's hard. It's hard to try to live out and exercise your faith without real contact uh, with people. And because our habits have been rearranged, our lives have been reconfigured, I want to use this season in the beginning of this year to remind ourselves of the importance of the church. And my hope is that as we remember the importance of the church and how we fit in it, we will begin to reconfigure our lives and start to adopt healthier spiritual habits so that we will begin to thrive spiritually. And when you thrive spiritually, when, why, when I thrive spiritually, we all benefit from it. Uh, we're launching today uh, a new series entitled, We the Church. And the passage that we have in front of us is one single verse. It comes out of the book of 1 Corinthians, and we're going to read, actually today we're going to read two verses. Let's read verses 1 and 2. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 1 and 2. Will you um, read it with me? This is what the Word of God says. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. There's so much packed in this introduction to the letter of 1 Corinthians. As Paul greets the church in Corinth, as he writes this letter to them, he reminds them of their purpose, of why they exist. And he reminds them also who they belong to, and how they can participate in the life that God has called them to live. So today, as we look into this text, 
we're going to try to answer three questions that Paul answers. First, what the church is. What is the church? Let's go to that first question. What is the church? Second, who does the church belong to? And then thirdly, how you can be a part of it. First, what is the church? Uh, This letter uh, was written by the Apostle Paul, as I said, to believers in the city of Corinth who he calls the church. Verse 2, very first line in verse 2, very first word in verse 2, to the church. The word church in Greek is the word ekklesia, which literally means a gathering. Why? Because when Paul sent these letters out to uh, these churches, these letters were not written by individuals and passed on to other people. Hey, here, Paul just wrote this letter. I just read it. It's your turn to read it. After you finish, pass it on to somebody else. That's not how it worked. When these letters arrived, the believers in that region would come together in a gathering, and that letter would be read to them. They would gather, and they would receive the Word of God. And that is a very important thing for us to discern because the church is not an institution, even though in this day and age it sometimes has to function as an institution. The church is not a building. Some of us make that confusion. We talk about churches, and when we talk about churches, we're referring to buildings. Like, we are building a building next door, a brand new building. Hopefully, in the next couple of years, it will be completed. And people will come to me, and they will say, hey, when are we building the new church? <laughs> There's no new church. We're not building a new church. Okay, we're building a new building, but the church is people. You are the church. Therefore, the title of the series, We the Church. We are the people that gather under the lordship of Jesus. He says, uh, we are those who uh, worship together, gather together with those in every place who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So the church is the people that comes under, that gathers under the lordship of Jesus in order to be shaped by his word. That's the idea. That's the picture here of why this letter was written and how it was, you know, dispersed and and shared with those in Corinth. We come under the lordship of Jesus to be shaped by his word. And that brings, you know, obviously some very important observations and some very important points to us because uh, we are not to gather and come under a flag or an earthly king. We are not to be shaped by politics. We are not to be shaped by culture. In fact, every time Christians, believers, so proclaimed Christians, have allowed themselves to come under the lordship of anything else but Jesus, any flag, any earthly kingdom, that have allowed themselves to be shaped by culture or politics. It has been an utter disaster. Look in history. Look at what happened this past Wednesday in Capitol Hill, on Capitol Hill. That's a byproduct 
of believers, so proclaimed Christians, coming under the authority and the lordship of something else, someone else other than Jesus Christ. And let me say something to that. Another thing, let's just be clear, be very clear here. Anytime that Christians come under the authority of anything else other than Christ, even though there may be a gathering, that is not the church. The church is the people gathered under the lordship of Christ to be shaped by his word. And this people here in this passage here in this, in this very short verse uh, that Paul teaches has two dimensions to this people. The first is a global dimension. Look, he says uh, the church is all who are called to be saints together with all of those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. I hate to, uh, to break the news that the church of Jesus is not American. The church of Jesus is not white. The church of Jesus is not Presbyterian, is not Roman Catholic, is not Baptist. The church of Jesus is not modern or postmodern or medieval. The church of Jesus is timeless and universal. The church of Jesus is global. God, through Jesus Christ, has called people out of every nation, out of every tribe, out of every race, out of every walk of life to be a part of his family. And he's been doing that for thousands of years since the establishment of the church by Jesus Christ himself. We are part of a broader family, a broader people. It's a rich, we have a rich tradition, a rich history. That's why here at Crossbridge, you will notice that sometimes we recite the Apostles' Creed and other creeds, and when we read some confessions that were written in the 1500s. See, when we do that, we connect our faith to those who have come before us, who are called by the same Christ that have called us and has united us together in Him. That's why we pray prayers of African leaders from the fourth century, because we believe that we are connected to them in Jesus. We can learn from them. They have received insight from God that we do not have, and therefore their experience enriches ours, and our experience enriches others as well. It's a beautiful thing. And it's a great thing to know that Crossbridge is part of a global family as well. We have this thing called the Bridge Movement. You've heard of it as well. And we have churches in Brazil, six churches in Brazil, that every time that we get to travel and to be there, it's almost like I'm stepping into a Crossbridge church. It's a beautiful thing. Now, those people have different walks of life. They have a different life story than you and I have. They're in a different context. And yet, we are connected and we're part of the same family. Now, the second dimension to this people is the local dimension. When you read the verse carefully, the Apostle Paul says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, he writes to a group of people 
that gathered in the city of Corinth under the name of Jesus Christ. They knew each other. They went to each other's houses. They broke bread together. Some of them led others to Christ. They were fathers and they were mothers within that community. When uh, certain people had needs, they went and addressed and met those needs. They did ministry together. They did life together. They were a local expression of the global church. And it's the same way with all the other letters that the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. He writes to a local group of people. To the church in Colossae, he writes to a local group of people in that city. To the church in Rome, he writes to a local group of people. Crossbridge. Crossbridge Church is a local expression of the global church. Here we have relationships. Here we're nurtured together. Here we're doing ministry together. Now, here, here's the key thing. And I like to say this, that the portal to the global is the local. You hear that? The portal to the global is the local. You cannot take part of the global church unless you are connected locally. Here's a quote from a theologian, John Stott, who has already passed away, but a very important quote. He says, the Christian life is not just our own private affair. If we have been born again into God's family, not only has he become our father, but every other Christian believer in the world, whatever his nation or denomination, has become our brother or sister in Christ. But it is no good supposing that membership of the universal church of Christ is enough. You hear that? We must belong to some local branch of it. Every Christian's place is in a local church, sharing in its worship, its fellowship, and its witness. Mm. Man, what a quote. You know, I worry sometimes that with all the choices that you have, that people have in this world today, that they would come to a point where they would prioritize serving the local church, building the local church, developing deep and meaningful relationships within the local church. The local church is very, very important for uh, your spiritual development and for the gospel's impact in our city and in our world. So plug into it. Take it seriously. This passage not only answers the question what the church is, but this passage also answers the question who the church belongs to. Who does the church belong to? The church was founded by Jesus Christ. The church was not man's idea, hum, humans, uh, uh, the, the idea of humans. Uh, I didn't have uh, this idea to start Crossbridge just out of the blue so that I could build a platform for me to teach and, you know, uh, to utilize the gifts and the talents that I have. Yes, God has called me to Miami to plant uh, this family of churches, but only because Jesus has founded the church. I, as a pastor and any other pastor, we serve as under-shepherds of Jesus. Jesus is the founder and the foundation of the church. If you were to go to Matthew 16, Jesus has a very important conversation with his disciples at what's known as the gates of hell, uh, if, if, you, if you were to go to uh, the Middle East 
in, in, in Israel, there's such a site that Jesus takes his disciples to. This was a place where there were many altars to pagan gods, and there's this cave there known as the Gate of Hell. It was the center point for paganistic religion. And in that place, Jesus gathers his disciples and he says this, and I tell you, you are Peter, but the disciples are there as well. Just read the passage, the whole chapter, 16. And on this rock, I will build my church. Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Mm. Right off the start, this means a few different things, actually particularly four things. First, that the church belongs to Jesus. The church does not belong to me. Crossbridge does not, does not belong to me. Does not belong to you. The church belongs to Jesus. We get to participate in it. We get to enjoy its fellowship and its benefits and its blessings, but it ultimately belongs to Jesus. And I have to stop with this mentality of treating the church as if the church was mine. Oh, I don't like this type of music here, or this Sunday was horrible, and if you don't change this, you know, in the children's program, I'm not coming anymore, or if you don't change these lights, they're blue, they're pink, or, you know, I'm not, I I hate this, I'm going to to another church, always wanting to impose our will over others. See, this is a diverse community. There's people with all different states. It's very hard to please everybody at the same time. Understand that the church is Jesus, and we belong to him. That's the most important thing, and we have to stop treating the church as our own. The second thing that this implies, the second lesson that we can draw out of this statement that Jesus makes is that Jesus loves his church. He loves his church. Why? Because he is building his church. And if Jesus loves his church, and if Jesus is building his church, and if I say that I love Jesus, I can't say that I love Jesus and not love his church. I can't say that I love Jesus and I don't come alongside his mission to build the church. I, 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 I neglect my ministry to the church. See, we should have a desire, a holy ambition to see more people, to see more needs being met. Wasn't it encouraging, the ministry report that you received at the end of the year, of how many lives, thousands of lives we have touched, not only locally but internationally as well. Hundreds of people that we have helped here in the city, emotionally, spiritually, leading them to a a healthier pathway, emotionally, and in a relationship with God. I was so encouraged by, by that report. But we want to see more. We want to do more. We want to see more people come to faith. Let me just share a goal that our staff has, has come up with for this year. We want to see 100 people come to faith through our church family. Does that fire up your heart? <laughs> We want to see more people. We want to see more needs being met. We should all want this, and we should all work towards that. We shouldn't spend our time tearing down the church. 
We are called to build the church because Jesus is building the church. If you follow Jesus, you want to build the church with him, this church that he loves so much. Thirdly, let me tell you this. The church will not go away. Even with the advent of secularism and, you know, uh, uh, the growth of skepticism, even with persecution, the church will not go away. Why? Because Jesus is saying that in this passage, that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that's one of the things that it means, is that this church will stick around because it was not invented by humans. It was invented by Jesus. And so it's going to stay around. But then the church will triumph. That, that's the last thing. And it's a great piece of encouragement for us. The gates of hell will not resist the church, will not overcome the church, because Jesus is its defender. Jesus is its master. Jesus is its Lord. The church will triumph. The last book of the Bible shows us that that the church will triumph with Christ. And so when you're part of the church, you're part of the winning team. And that should serve as an encouragement to you and I. Because the church belongs to Christ. So lastly, last question. How do I take part in it? How do I participate in the life of the church. And uh, this text is, is, is very simple. It's by responding Jesus' call to call upon his name. Let me say that again. By responding Jesus' call to call upon his name. What does it mean to call upon Jesus' name? What does it mean to respond to Jesus' call to call upon his name? There's another passage that I want to share with you that the Apostle Paul also writes. He writes now to the church in Rome. In chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, he says this, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. By calling upon the name of Jesus. What does it mean to call upon the name of Jesus? It's to declare like those who are part of the global church of Jesus that he is Lord. It's to say, Jesus, I want to invite you to be Lord of my life. By the way, have you ever made that declaration? Have you ever said to Jesus, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I surrender my life to you. You are now the Lord of my life. That's how you enter the church, through Jesus. Look, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Jesus Christ, you have to come. The only way that you can come is through Jesus by making this declaration. Some people say, do I really have to make this declaration? Yeah, you do have to make this declaration. You have to sign on the dotted line. 
It's kind of like that player that's been going out with this girl for many years, and she wants the commitment, and he says, no, why do we need to sign the papers? That's just institutional, you know? We love each other. In order for you to prove that you love that person, you've got to sign on the dotted line, son. You've got to sign on the dotted line. You've got to make that public commitment to Christ. It's important that you do. Every Christian has to have made this public commitment to Jesus. So, what does this look like? What does this public commitment to Jesus look like? What does this declaration to Jesus look like? It looks like a prayer. And I'm going to give you a chance, an opportunity, at the back end of this sermon for you to pray this prayer with me. But it, it, it means praying and, and talking to Jesus. You can't talk to me, you can't talk to others, but you have to talk to Jesus. You have to say that to him. You have to declare that to, declare that to Jesus. But you also have to declare that to the world. How do you declare that to the world? You declare that to the world by baptizing. You're baptized into the church, and that's a public profession of your faith so that others know that you are a follower of Jesus, that you are part of the people of God that comes under the lordship of Christ to be shaped by his word. You have committed to live your life for him and model that which you believe through the way in which you live your life. Baptism initiates you into that new life. And then you declare it to one another within the context of the family. How do you do that? By putting your God-given gifts at the disposal of the local church, your time, your talents, your treasures, and saying, I want to join the church. And I know that the church is not perfect. It's actually even less perfect when I join the church because I'm a sinner too, right? But I want to commit to loving these people and building this community and building this people. That's what it means to declare the lordship of Jesus in your life. That's, that's what it means to commit to Christ. So, if God is speaking to you today, the Spirit of God is speaking to you today, wherever you may be, and He is moving you towards a posture of surrender to Him, I want you to respond. I don't want you to put that away. I don't want you to say, let me think about it. Maybe this, there's another time, another day. This is the moment that Jesus has set aside for an encounter with you. He is saying, the year is beginning. Will you surrender your life to me? Will you come under my lordship? Will you repent of your false lords? who have brought you nothing but misery in your life. I am the true Savior and Lord that can restore your joy and restore your purpose. If he is speaking to you right now, I want you to respond, and I want you to pray this prayer with me. Are you ready to pray this prayer? Close your eyes wherever you are. Maybe extend your hands and pray this with me. Jesus, I declare you Lord of my life. Amen. That's it. If you have prayed this prayer today, let us know. There's going to be a link in our comment section. 
We want to connect with you. And we want to know that you pray this prayer today. You know why? Because we want to help you take the next steps. We want to help you to get baptized so that you can be a part of the church of Jesus through this local expression, which is Crossbridge Church. May you have a blessed Sunday. May God be with you in the name of Jesus Christ, the ultimate bishop of our souls. God bless you.